Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. Charlotte Reader's Podcast is part of the Queen City Podcast Network, a collection of locally based, locally produced, locally focused podcasts that you can take anywhere and listen to at your own pace. We're grateful to our Season 3 sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, for helping local authors and those who visit the Queen City give voice to their written words. Park Road Books is the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, with a welcoming staff ready to help you find your next great read. The store is right there in Park Road Shopping Center, with the big blue letters. Charlotte Mecklenburg Library serves as an essential connector of a thriving community of readers, leaders, and learners. With 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence, their mission is to improve lives and build a strong community. This show is recorded in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. It's a welcoming space for members who like to collaborate and be creative. You can find links and information about this episode in the show notes at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we meet romance authors Jessica Peterson and Rick Prill, explore the ins and outs of the romance genre, and listen to Jessica and Rick talk about how romance novels are more than just sex, although there is the sex too. Jessica reads from her book Southern Charmer, a novel in her Charleston Heat series, and Rick reads from The Shimmer of Prague. Both books take readers to culturally romantic and historical venues where the heroine and hero struggle to find that thing called love. We start with Rick reading from the first chapter of The Shimmer of Prague, with Joseph leaving his past behind and searching for the girl of his dreams in that ancient magical city, followed by Jessica reading from the first chapter of Southern Charmer, where Olivia runs into Eli, who she sees as a gorgeous bearded guy with a thick torso and shoulders, shapely waist, and forearms so sinewy and perfect they make Olivia want to die a little. I love Prague more than ever. This ancient magical city has me under a spell. 6 June 1998. Yesterday I walked across the Charles Bridge, leaving my past behind, connecting to my future. On the far side, I met the girl I'm obsessed with. Her name is Karina. What's so bad in my past that I had to change continents, you ask? Oh, it's nothing. I discovered the girl of my dreams, then I declared my dream of writing a novel dead. I am a dream graveyard. But who cares about all that? I prayed last night. I prayed for Karina. Then I took it back. I don't know. I guess I'm afraid to let myself even imagine a future with her. That's how badly I want her. Now I think I'll renew my prayer. God loves love. He knows my heart. If the time is right, if the stars align, we'll have a chance. Maybe I don't deserve to imagine, to fantasize. That's fair. I'll never know if I don't try. 15 June 1998. Let me be clear. I am not a writer. I've decided to keep a journal merely as an observer. 
so I can remember the way it happened, the way it really happened. I didn't keep a journal throughout my breakup, and now I wish I had. Memory is far too kind. Ink is indelible. This journal is my weapon. I use it to fight misty-eyed romanticism. I'm here at the terminal bar. I'm making eyes at yet another taken girl. This girl I'm making eyes at. Red hair, emerald eyes like a snake. Thin, small bosom, a pixie. But she has dumb, hunky guy with her. Her own personal golem. It's a a shame she has such bad taste. I shouldn't judge. God punishes me with vexing visions. I'm at the end of my rope. Here at the terminal bar. I make the turn onto Longitude Lane. Right away, I slam on my brakes. What the? A handful of humongous birds loiter in the middle of the alley like bored teenagers. They look like turkeys, or maybe they're geese. They peck at each other, peck at the ground. One of them has the balls to look me in the eye for a full beat, like I'm the one holding up traffic. I wait for them to move, but they don't. I start to sweat. I mean, what the hell are you supposed to do when you encounter birds the size of beach balls in the middle of a city street? I consider honking my horn, but this little alley is nice. I half expect Scarlett O'Hara to come charging out of the house to my left, bottle of bourbon in one hand and a shotgun in the other, telling me she doesn't give a damn if I'm tired and hot and cranky. People down here don't honk. On to plan B. Maybe I'll get out of the car, but then a man appears, saving me from what I'm sure would have devolved into a scene from the birds. Not just any man, a shirtless one. A sexy, shirtless, tatted-up man. I watch, my mouth going dry, as he strides out into the street, his broad back to me. He shoes away the birds with one arm, urging them to the other side of the alley. He is barefoot. The sting of cigar smoke fills my nostrils. Don't be a dick, Dolores, he says, pointing to the only white bird in the group. I know you understand what I'm saying. Get, I told you to stay out of the street. You want to end up roadkill? Huh? He's got a southern accent, more velvety than the guys on the radio. I feel the velvet on the underside of my sternum. My heart brushes up against it, purring at the sudden softness. The birds finally meander to the sidewalk. Then the man turns to look at me. Our eyes lock. I swear to God, my normal bodily functions skid to a dead stop. Even my eyes stop blinking. He's gorgeous, in a scruffy way. He rocks a full beard, dark graphic tattoos. His, hair, his dark hair is wet, like he just got out of the shower, and long enough to be held back by one of those elastic headband things I've only ever seen hot European soccer players wear. The stub of a cigar is clamped between his teeth. He squints his eyes, they're hazel, more green than brown, against the smoke. He clearly works out. Thick torso and shoulders, shapely waist, forearms so sinewy and perfect, they make me want to die a little. They do not make men like this in small-town New York. He holds a mug of what I assume is coffee in one hand, even though it's almost dinner time. I get the feeling he's just starting his day. What does he do? He holds up the other hand to me. I'm sorry, ma'am, he says around the cigar. Shit, now I'm looking at his lips. His full, expressive lips. Damn foul are always causing trouble. Ah, so they're foul, not geese. Like I know the difference, but still. Leaning out the window a little, I say, no problem, about the, uh, fouls, foul. (laughs) I resist the urge to grimace. When was the last time I got flustered around a guy? I'm 32 years old, damn it. Thank you. Anytime. 
I watch him make his way to the house on my right, all the while blinking back a strong sense of where the hell am I. A half-naked guy with a hot accent just saved me from some fell in the street. He seemed unmiffed about it, like this kind of thing happens all the time on Longitude Lane. Maybe it does. Maybe wild birds and wilder men are common in Charleston. If so, this is going to be an interesting four weeks. Jessica Peterson likes to write smoking hot romance set in her favorite cities around the world. She grew up on a steady diet of Mr. Darcy, Edward Cullen, and Jamie Frazier, and it wasn't long before she started writing swoon-worthy heroes of her own. She loves strong coffee, stronger heroines, and heroes with hot accents. Jessica started her career with the Hope Diamond Affair trilogy, a historical romance series that was traditionally published. Since then, she independently published the Study Abroad series, the Royal Ruin series, and most recently, her Charleston Heat series, and has found by choice that she can have a career in romance writing in the indie world. She lives in Charlotte with her husband Ben or a smelly golden doodle, Martha Bean. Rick Prill is an award-winning author and poet living in Charlotte since 2002. His book, The Shimmer of Prague, Foolishness Press 2017, was selected the winner of the 2018 New York Festival of Books in the Romance category. From 1996 to 2002, Rick lived in Prague, and while there, he published two books. His first publication to the web in 1994, Lies, garnered praise from the Wall Street Journal, Shift Magazine, and several other publications. Rick is a member of Charlotte Lit and the Charlotte Writers Club. He's hosted book marketing sessions called Do Not Get Ripped Off, Tips for Self-Publishers, and Beyond the Book, Engaging Readers, Creating Superfans. He lives with his book cover artist and wife, 2018 art pop artist, Ollie Spruck, his two children, two cats, and a puppy. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Landis. And Jessica, welcome. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, i got to peel off this little explicit tag and stick it on the side of my digital recorder here we go i, I got it right there because okay. <laughs> it's getting kind of warm in the room here and we're going to ramp things up a bit um okay so we're talking romance today with um rick Priel and jessica peterson so let's start this thing off with the uh, with a sort of a general question about this thing called romance what is it and why do people love it jessica um okay i will uh <laughs> jump in here first so um I kind of base my my definition of romance on RWA, which is Romance Writers of America. Um, it's a, a nationwide organization um, made up of romance novelists, romance readers, publishers, all that good stuff. But they really, um, you know, say it beautifully in that romance. You know, there's there's some certain tenets, and I focus on two of them. The first one is romance um, is a story with, you know, based on a couple, um, or mm-hmm. you know multiple people it depends mm-hmm. <laughs> depends depends what you're, um, depends what you're writing depends yeah. what you're writing yeah. and um the love story is central to the narrative second major tenant is that a romance ends with a happily ever after okay. so it has a happy ending now rick we're going to talk about both your books in a minute your your book uh the Shimmer of Prague. Did I pronounce that right? It's Chimera. See, I can't even get that right. <laughs> it's from the Greek. But I, you know, I did seven YouTube <laughs> videos and I said Chimera on all seven. Did so, you really? Yeah, I did. Ooh. I did. Okay. Okay. That was rough. Okay. So it's, uh, when it's your own, I don't feel so bad. Then. So, so your book, um, I don't know, does it fall in the romance genre? There's a lot in it that's romance related. Uh, there's a lot of, so, we got a guy wandering around Prague trying to find himself having sex with about everybody he meets uh, <laughs> through, through this book. But then 
So how would you classify your book? Is it? So I call it psychological romance. Okay. So I kind of cr- try to carve out my own little space. I think about E.L. James and the yeah. provocative romance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, she called hers provocative romance. So I kind of yeah. took psychological romance. And I think my book is about obsession mainly. Um, and, and there's a love story in there. So, yeah, I'm kind of a tiny little corner of uh, romance and kind of staking out my own territory. But mm-hmm. I try to follow the tenets. I try to respect the genre, of right, course. Right. And um, the, the RWA, what you forgot to say was that it's also a juggernaut. It's an absolutely oh, yeah. huge it's enormous. Absolutely. machine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the romance genre in general is a, a huge business. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I just I absolutely love it. All the different parts of it are really fun, from historical to... Um, you know, something more like, you know, E.L. James or what we're doing. Right. Um, and I, I love uh, Jessica's uh, smart, sexy corner. I love, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great corner. Thank you. Thank you. I love inhabiting that corner. But, um, but yeah, to, to speak to your idea of there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of, you know, romance. If you, you know, want a quick, sweet novella, there's that for you. If you're looking for um, you know, some hot and heavy erotica. There's plenty of that for you. Um, I think it all comes down to uh, romance has a very dedicated, very voracious readership. I was going to ask you, who who reads? Is it more men, more women, a little of both? What is it? So, you know, I can only speak to my own audience and kind of, you know, what my data tells me. Mm. Um, you know, I promote... That's not your dad, it's your data. My right? dad, my data. <laughs> See these things about <laughs> being on a, what a microphone. Da- what does your dad tell you? <laughs> My dad's like, good for you. I'm not going to yeah. read this. <laughs> yeah. um, he says you're making a living, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Good for you. Chasing after your dream. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's 99% women. And okay. I always target women, you know, with my marketing efforts. So that raises a question. Um, do, do women trust male authors in this genre? And I guess, Rick, that's a challenge for you, right? It's the, a great it's a great question. Yeah. I've actually found it very welcoming. Uh, people come go out of their way to say, hey, um, uh, a man writing romance, that's cool. Uh, tell me more. What you know, what do you what, what's been your experience? So um, I've actually found it very, very welcoming. I don't find feel like an intruder, even though I probably am. No, nobody's an intruder. I know several male authors who are doing very well for themselves and well, have very dedicated readership. I just wonder, because the male mind works differently than the female mind. I've, I've heard when it comes to sex. And uh, so does a woman trust a guy to get it right in terms of describing and does a woman and does a guy trust a woman? <laughs> to get, you know, it's a good. It's a great it's a, question. Yeah. So, um, and and I I can speak to um, from reading Jessica's book. She goes from the male perspective as well as the female right. perspective, okay. and I think she nails it. Yeah. Um, I, I try to do a Thank little you. bit of that in in, yeah. in mine that, as well. You, you, that's a nice little uh, play on words there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I think. And, and I read romance myself to try and understand the female perspective. And I think that's one of the things that, that men should do, right? We mm-hmm. should try and understand things from a different perspective. To me, if you take a little extra time with the sensuality of, of the sex and you spend more time talking about the colors that you see and the shapes that you see and the sensory uh, impact of all that, I think it gets really interesting. And so what I find when I read romance is that the, the way a woman describes a kiss can be completely different than the way a man might describe a kiss. And I think there's room for both, right? And, uh, and I think reading either one is interesting, right? So, so here's something that it's just an observation I'll make, and it might go to the whole uh, male versus female mind when it comes to sex. But, Rick, your character has sex on about page 10. 
Jessica, it took 110 pages in your book before we got Bravo, there. Bravo, by the you way. Know, thank Bravo. you, but you know that's yeah. not typical for me. So okay. in romance, we would call that. <laughs> so it a, well, but, but I mean, I'm thinking about it. You know, you, you know, your partner says, now, let's take this slow. You know, there's got to be a little romance during the day for me to get interested in this thing. You know, so, Right, right. And you did. You, you ramped it for like 110. I'm like, okay, you, you got the anticipation. The what were you slow thinking? slow burn. Yeah. Slow burn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it fit that story. Yeah. And that was, you know, intentional. It was basically two strangers coming together um, mm-hmm. and getting to know each other and then falling into bed whereas Southern Player my next book mm. they fall into bed together right away, right away. and okay. sex is you know they they go from being a hookup to you know falling in love with each other um, so you know just depending on the story, it could. I, I've done it many ways. I've had sex in the prologue before, <laughs> so okay. I'm not afraid to go there. And um, I, I always sales are a little bit off. Let's have sex early. You know? Yeah, <laughs> not even that. You know, not even that. I mean, it's just a, it's just what fits the story. And I took a great workshop at a conference last summer, or was it two summers ago? My goodness. And um, the the author who was giving the workshop positive she's like you know in every one of my books I have three sex scenes and that kind of seems to be Mm. the sweet spot whether they come the beginning the middle the end whatever Um, and I thought that was just so interesting because I looked at my own books and I'm kind of like yeah you know you have beginning sex and then you have middle sex falling in love sex and then you have you know making love sex well that that, kind of leads to my next question what's the right amount of sex in a romance novel Rick do you have any thoughts on that yeah I do and and I I have a couple of like don'ts when it comes to romance I love don'ts yeah so so uh the one the one is brawny if it says brawny I'm kind of out the door uh, (laughs) so it's funny I use brawny and southern player with the caveat I said in the heroine's head she's like I know that word sounds cheesy but that's exactly what he is and I was going to give you a pass because you did do that And I noticed no, it. No, so but you, so there should be so no you acknowledge the trope and then go for it. Oh, right? totally. <laughs> and as long as I feel like you know you're able to to have fun with it or kind of you know wink a little bit at yourself and at your audience, they're right there with you. They, they get it. Yeah. So, anyways, onward. Uh, and yeah. The, <laughs> then, so the next, what's more important, the sex or the build up to the sex and in, in, in romance? What pulls people back to reading these things is that. Is it drawing them in, or is it the sex itself, or a little bit of both? What What, what do you think? I think it's both, yeah. and, and I think the the slow burn, the build up, has to be there. That's mm-hmm. a really you can get a really deep emotional hook, mm-hmm. um, yes. and and I think that's very successful in Southern Charmer. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was dra- I was, you know. And dra- by the way, on, pa- along. on page one hundred and ten. I said they got to sex. They got to a little bit, but they right. didn't really get to it to about page 130. So right. she kind of she brought us up to a certain plateau and then took us. Oh yeah. Well, and, taking the example, <laughs> keeping the example yeah. going, yeah. she actually absolutely goes there, full wholeheartedly goes there um, in in Southern Charmer, and it's just a little bit after that. I think it's page 150, 170. I honestly, that sounds about right. Yeah, sounds but, about right. Um, and it is. Um, you go a little graphic. Jessica's not afraid to to use the words. I am. I am a believer that I like my sex scenes very explicit and very hot. Yes. So, so long. But and Je- I, but I think the same thing. What? I think <laughs> describing you have to do the same thing, yeah. right? You have to. Yeah. And, and here's one thing I found interesting. And it was a blog post or something, and I saw it in the book when I was reading it. Safe sex. Oh, that's a big. That is a big. And I'm thing thinking this is for me. So why do we care? But then there's a scene in here, and you know the condom and the whole. Thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so tell, tell us about that. Why? Um, sure. So when I whenever I write a sex scene, um, or even just in any relationship that I write, I always make sure we have clear consent, and we always have a discussion 
about whether it's condoms or, you know, being on the pill or whatever it may be, I always make sure that that is very explicit. And I think that's important on a lot of reasons. First of all, because it's realistic. You know, Mm -hmm. in this day and age, if, you know, you're having sex with someone new, chances are you're having this conversation. Um, And second of all, as somebody who has been reading romance since my teens, um, not to say that romance is in any way instructive, but I do think that, you know, it's part of pop culture. You mm-hmm. are, you know, by discussing these things in books, you're planting that seed in readers' minds. And I think it's important to, you know, kind of have that those positive interactions mm-hmm. and, you know, and honest interactions between the hero and heroine. And so, you know, if you're like me and a 16-year-old reader, it's kind of like, okay, you know, as I explore this myself, maybe I should be having those conversations too. So... And let's talk about plot just a little bit, because am I right? There is plot in these books to some extent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh it's. I mean, it's a story. I mean, you don't just yeah. you just don't just you're not buying it for the articles or the. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so Rick, let's talk about plot a minute. In your in your book, um, you know, you write in this um, point of view through a journal, right? Yes. And and you journal in the head of the main character. You journal in the head of the mother who comes to visit the main character. And he's stumbling around Prague trying to sort of find himself. First of all, title of the book. It's Chimera of Prague. And what drew you to Prague? Well, you were in Prague, weren't you, for a yeah. while? Yeah. Okay. So I visited Prague for the first time in 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went back uh, for a wedding in 1995, and by 1996 I was living there. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And and how long were you there? I lived there for seven years. And that experience, did it sort of plant some of these thoughts in your mind for this book? Yeah, it, it really did. So um, I was describing a time that I think is sort of iconic in Prague. So the late 90s in Prague, as an expat, there was a lot of Americans there. Something mm-hmm. like, in estimates vary, some, somewhere between 25,000 and 40,000 Americans. Mm-hmm. And then there were, you know, of course, the others, Brits and, and Australians and, and was, others. Was there a particular reason why so many people were there at that time? Like Americans? Was there a draw? Um, it was very cheap. Okay. It was easy to live there. Um, beer was extremely cheap. <laughs> Cheaper than water. Good yeah, beer. Well, yeah. You, and you tell a story about beer in your book, right? I do. I okay. describe the history of beer, which originated the, the, the beer that we know today, the Pilsner, the mm-hmm. light colored Pilsner, is um, from Pilsen, which is right outside of uh, Prague, just in 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And it was invented there by a German brewer who was brought by the, the, the townspeople because they didn't like the, the mead that they had, this thick, yeah. um, the, dark... The, the medieval mead. Exactly. Yeah. And they, uh, they literally dumped it on the street. That, mm-hmm. They hated it so much they dumped it in the street. So uh, they brought... Uh, the, the brewer from Germany, he used a different sort of hops. He used a different combination of the water and found this light, refreshing uh, ale is so, what we have today. Sounds like a commercial. You know, it, I'm kind of making myself thirsty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so uh, j- shifting Jessica to, to your book, give me the title here, Southern. Uh, Southern Charmer. And it's part of a series, right? Yeah, yes, it's yeah. the first book in the Charleston Heat series. Okay, and so Rick's place is Prague. Your place in this book is Charleston, right? Yes, and what, it is. And what draws you to Charleston? Um, well, I knew, like all of my series are set in my favorite cities. So my first series is set in Madrid. Second series is set in London. And the series I wanted to set... In Charleston, first of all, because I think we take for granted living in Charlotte Mm -hmm. that, you know, 
this how awesome the South is and how diff how awesomely different it can be from other parts of the country. Um, I also got married in Charleston, fell in love with it. We my husband and I try to get there, get down there whenever we can. And I, I knew I wanted to write a chef hero and I wanted to talk about food um, and just the, the culture down there that that has cropped up around, you know, food and, and cocktails and I don't know, just kind of this, I think Charleston is a very mm-hmm. sensual place, and I mean sensual as in all senses, mm-hmm. not necessarily like a sexy place, although it is a very sexy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've gotten a lot of feedback on this book saying that Charleston is its own character, in yeah. a way. And that's, that, I think both of these books, um, with Prague as a centerpiece and Charleston as the centerpiece of the book, uh, you really bring place into it. So when people talk about, well, this is just a trashy romance well it's not you've got good writing you've got a a sense of place and we're going to have you read in just a moment about those places and some of the cultural aspects of them but before we do i want to make sure i understand the plot jessica it sounds like there's someone in this book who's headed to charleston who might have some of the same interests as you oh yes so i always hesitate (laughs) to like write about a writer you know we both wrote about writers in uh, these books we're talking about but um yeah, I. She is not only just a writer. She's a. She's a romance writer. writer. She is an aspiring romance writer yeah. who's really struggling with this idea of who she should be, which is this very mm-hmm. you know um, responsible uh, literature professor who has this secret dream of writing her own romance novel. Yeah, so she takes off from her engaged partner to be. She's just going to go down to write, and then she runs into this. This chef in the middle of the street, and he kind of yeah. uh, slowly but surely draws this dream out of her and encourages her to chase after it. But that sounds a little like betrayal. Is that is that part of what's permitted in uh, romance? That uh, is a really great question yeah. because cheating is a very divisive topic uh. in romance. It exists. Um, it actually can be a very juicy uh, plot element or a, a, a trope, if you mm-hmm. will. That being said readers either love or hate it there are very i'm sure there are people that exist in in the 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 middle of that spectrum but you know people either you know love their love triangles or they hate them and so you just have to again it's all about reader expectation you have to let them know what they're getting into so for instance uh, i'm trying to think i just read a great book heartbreak warfare by heather ogeron and kate stewart and it's a cheating book Mm -hmm. and they are up front in the blurb which is the back cover copy Mm -hmm. about how this woman goes to war in love with one man and comes back in love with another. And so as long as readers know up front that that's the trope for the book, they're cool with it. Yeah, but that's that's a different kind of cheating, right? I mean, that's somebody who may not be fully committed and they find their true love kind of thing. It's a different that's a story that plays out in all kind of novels and movies right, and everything. And right. In fact, in Rick, your your character also is on well, in his situation, he's on the rebound to some extent. He's he's separated from his uh, girlfriend for many years or the person he's going to be engaged to and then he's kind of wandering around Prague trying to find himself right yeah so n- newly divorced mm-hmm. expat uh, and the feedback that I've gotten is that I had several men say to me you wrote my story mm-hmm. so it was That's I think awesome feedback in That's the, what you want to hear yeah. in the expat community I think there were a lot of people who were quote unquote running away from something and and looking for for something different oh absolutely so um and i think that's that's part of what i'm trying to talk about in the story i'm also trying to talk about self-esteem i think so um 
Joseph doesn't have a lot in the beginning. He's trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's important to him, where he came from. It's, it's so easy when you change countries, or even going to college, uh, changing cities, you can invent a new identity for yourself. You're reinventing yourself, absolutely. And so you can start to believe your own hype, and you can get lost. So I think Joseph's doing a little bit of that. So when people say, you know, the old cliche of going to Europe to find yourself, I think that's what Joseph's doing a little bit, is understanding who he is, where he comes from. Well, the interesting thing is, I have to say, at the beginning of the book, Rick, I didn't like the character very much because I didn't understand his backstory. And then you started dropping hints along the way about what he'd been through and where he'd come from, and then even later in the book about his experiences with his own father. And you began to understand better why he's wandering around trying to find his next place, you know? Yeah, and, and I wonder sometimes if I waited too long to, to drop some of those seeds, because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have said that he's a little narcissistic, he's right. a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> but I and, think that's, the, in a way, you kind of have to be, <clears throat> excuse me, intentional about that, because a, a book right. is all about a character arc, right? right? That's yeah. right. So in a way, you it have did, to... It did, it had an arc to it. Right, yeah. and I, yeah. I mean, to, to a counterpoint to, to Landis's idea, I actually really connected with Joseph's First of all, raging unrequited crush on Karina. <laughs> that was just the story of my love life. Which, you never, I was which never, never quite worked for him, by the way. <laughs> right. Right. But I still, I could, I so connected with, first of all, being in your head about someone that you are really into. And second of all, the struggle of, okay, first of all, there's this person in my head that I'm obsessed with. And second of all, how do I approach this person in real life without being a complete weirdo? <laughs> um, and you know, without you know making a fool of myself. And so I don't know. I, I could really connect with that that part of his character, but I could see you know you're planting those seeds again of, of building this beautiful character arc. So all right, wow, so, thank you. So, so you're welcome. B- so before the break, <clears throat> we're going to dive into to a sense of place here for just a minute. Um, in in Rick's book, Rick, you actually give us um, a lot of historic monuments, uh, talisman, all kinds of things come out in the book. Uh, and you're going to read a, a piece about the Charles Bridge, which is central to Prague. And then, Jessica, you're going to read uh, a piece here um, sort of about the uh, culture of Charleston that has a little bit to do with food. And uh, so let's read those. We'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more and then take a break. Construction on the bridge started in 1357 under the direction of King Charles IV, and was not completed until the 15th century. Originally named the Stone Bridge or the Prague Bridge, since 1870 it's been called the Charles Bridge. It spans the Vultava River, connecting the Lesser Quarter to Old Town. Legend has it that construction began on the bridge at 5.30 a.m. on 9 July 1357, with the first stone being laid by King Charles himself. The exact time was important to the Holy Roman Emperor because he was a strong believer in numerology. The specific time, down to the minute, formed a numerical bridge. The year, 1357, ninth day, 7th month, 531 a.m., or 13579-7531, and would imbue the physical bridge with cosmic strength. A bow bridge consisting of 16 arches, it's shielded below by wooden ice guards. Above, it's protected by three Gothic towers, two on the side of the lesser quarter and one on the old town side. The bridge is lined with an alley of 30 statues originally erected in 1700, later replaced with, rep- with replicas. 
Before that, the decorations were considerably more gruesome. From 1621, after the bloody Battle of White Mountain, 27 leaders of the Protestant movement in Bohemia were beheaded. Twelve of the severed heads were displayed atop pikes on the Charles Bridge as a deterrent against the resistance. The heads stayed there for more than 10 years, until one night they were removed and buried secretly in an undisclosed location. I don't stop to pose for a photo. I don't consider the depictions of ancient atrocities on my walk across the bridge. I float on a sea of tourists, enjoying the rare warmth of a late winter day, feeling the magic of this old city. I wonder if the strength of a centuries-old stone bridge arching across the Vultava River in history can sustain me. So, Rick, I wouldn't uh, expect such a gruesome description normally in a romance novel. <laughs> but, but that's history, right? I mean, you're talking about the history of the place itself. Right. And, you, and one of the things you do very well, I think, is you take – at first I wondered about it. Why are we getting all of these introductions to these places and all the history that goes with it? But then the character would use that to sort of help himself move forward or backward, depending upon the situation, right? That's right. Yeah. I think the idea was um, using the images of the place and, and, and the experience of being there to understand ourselves is kind of what he's doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of what we do in our lives. Um, so I, I wanted to give him a minute coming back from each one of these interludes where he's talking and it, he mm-hmm. sounds a little bit like a scientist or a historian. Right. Um, I wanted to give him a chance to connect it back. Why is this important? Why are you showing me this? Now, when I originally wrote the book, it was just the journal entries. So imagine for a second, take out everything about Prague mm-hmm. and just the journal entries. It's a little much. It's, it's mm-hmm. close fiction. It's, it's close first person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of hard to digest. So by breaking it up a little bit, I'm trying to give the reader a little room to breathe and trying to give them some more experience of the place. Yeah, I might be able to pass a test on Prague after reading your book. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so good. So we're going to transition now from Prague to Charleston, get a little sense of that place. Uh, Jessica, take it away. Maybe, just for tonight, I give in to this longing. Not give in, give in, like in the biblical sense, but maybe I let myself feel it. Maybe I pretend that I really am a writer and I really am living here, and I really am free to lust after Elijah Jackson the way my heroine lusts after her hero. I try it. I give in, meeting Eli's eyes across the restaurant, for strictly literary purposes, of course. He smiles. So do I. The sommelier pours the wine for our first course. It's an Albarino, a crisp Spanish white that tastes like green apples on my tongue. Then there's the food course after course of fresh, inventive, supremely satisfying amazingness. We start with biscuits that are served with something called pimento cheese made in-house. It's so good, I literally can't stop eating it. When we run out of biscuits, I beg our server not to bring any more. I'm worried I'll ruin my appetite for the real meal. After the biscuits comes oysters on the half shell and a salad of pickled shrimp and green beans, then broiled loco snapper on a bed of collard greens cooked in coconut milk, Gnocchi, made out of sweet potatoes, follows, served with this tangy, yummy, buttery cream sauce that's so good I have to resist the urge to lick my plate. I feel like my senses are turned all the way up. It's all too much. The wine and the food and Eli holding court in the kitchen. I find myself closing my eyes, willing myself to remember these moments, these flavors. 
this pure fleeting bliss of just sitting and enjoying and lusting. All right, Jessica, thanks for taking us uh, and making us really hungry here. We, <laughs> we have we have Rick. Uh, Rick's going to supply the beer. You're going to supply the, the seafood. Yeah. Perfect. I'm in. Yes, yeah. sounds good. Yeah, so talk about, Jessica, just a second uh, before the break here, about the connection between food and sex and the senses and all that goes with that. Absolutely. So um, Anthony Bourdain described himself as a sensualist, which really – you know, sparked my imagination because when I heard the word sensual up to that point, it always had a sexual connotation. And I had never considered the idea that it it was a multifaceted concept of, okay, yes, sex, you know, speaks to your senses, but so does food. So does a cold beer, you know, so does, you know, a perfectly salty, you know, freshly shucked oyster. Mm. And, you know, I kind of wanted um, my heroine, in a way, she's a very heady person, which I can certainly relate to. And I feel like these senses access another part of her character that she's kind of locked away. And Eli, again, is kind of bringing that that out to light. All right. Well, it's not time for a lunch break, but it is time for a short break. We're going to we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a moment with Rick Pruill and Jessica Peterson. Uh, we're going to have uh, the author to author segment, some more readings from their books, and then we're going to do the uh, romancing the romance genre section of the show. So uh, stay with us. Hey, listeners, I'm here with Ann Stosky from Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Hey, Ann. Hey, Landis. How are you? Uh, tell us what your job is. I work in marketing communications for the library, so I have the exciting job of letting everyone in Mecklenburg County know about the programs and services and opportunities that the library offers. That's great, because I'm going to ask you some of those questions. <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, so what can you do with a library card today? Uh, the resources are really endless. There's there's so much that we offer both uh, in the physical branches to come in for programs, for events, uh, but also our online digital resources uh, with audiobooks, ebooks. Um, also, we offer job resources uh, through our main library job help center um, and through our branches. We also have our Robinson Spangler Carolina Room, which is the largest collection of genealogical materials in a public library in North Carolina, and we have extraordinary programs that they offer. Um, so if you're interested in finding out about the history of your house, um, maybe mm. your tax records. Not my tax records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This would be the place that you could start to look. All right. So, Ann, one, one final thing. Um, if we're trying to find information on the library, where's the best place to go? You can find all you need to know about the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library at cmlibrary.org. And y'all are on social media too, right? We are. Uh, do you very, do all that stuff? I mean, we do. Our team um, is really active that we promote through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn. So you can find us on all the social media platforms, uh, mostly cmlibrary.org. If I knew how to use all those, I could find you there, right? <laughs> we can teach you how at the library. Uh, all right, great. Thanks. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Okay, listeners, we're back with Rick Prill and Jessica Peterson. Uh, we're going to do a little, our little author-to-author segment now. <clears throat> this is what we're doing in Season 3, where we have authors from Season 1 and Season 2 who, who sent some questions to me that I can throw at our, our guests in Season 3 here. And the, the first questions come from... Paula Martinak. Paula appeared in season one. She's an author of four novels, including The Eight of Decades, a finalist uh, for an LGBT fiction award. Um, and her new novel, which is Cleo Rising, 
uh, is out now, and you can get that at Bywater Books. So here are a couple of questions from Paula. She says, which of your characters is most like you? Ah, this ought to be interesting. (laughs) It's a a great question. I was actually just uh, answering a similar question um, yesterday. I I put a piece of myself in all of my characters. Mm-hmm. I kind of like use my books as a way to explore questions that I have, um, you know, about anything from motherhood to love to sex to food. Um, but I will say, you know, in, in Southern Charmer, because Olivia really does struggle with, do I be the straight and narrow person with the mm-hmm. quote unquote awesome, perfect life? Or do I be this person who I truly am? And that, that was, that's, that's been my defining struggle of my twenties <laughs> and thirties. So I, I would have to say Olivia from Southern Charmer for sure okay. for me. Well, so your husband's not going to let you go to Charleston by yourself then, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite Charleston buddy. So I wouldn't want to okay. go without him anyway. Okay. How about you, Rick? Uh, yeah, I, I'll say Joseph. Um, it's it's uh, it's not autobiographical. It's not the exact. Uh, it's not very much uh, like my life, um, and uh, I, and I get to say that because everybody says he's narcissistic, and I'm mm-hmm. not. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But um, yeah. I think I, I liked what you said, Jessica. I do put a piece of myself in all my characters. Even the even the female characters sort of get uh, they get sort of my voice comes through them. Oh, a absolutely. Bit. So. Um, I think that it's hard to be somebody who you're not, right? And if we want to get close to what people are really thinking and really feeling, then I think we do have to spend some time with our own, understanding our own emotions and then seeing how we can use those in our characters. Absolutely. And and I'll jump in and say, I think those are the parts of the characters that readers also connect with, the real parts. All right. Compound question here from Paula. Um, what draws you to writing romance, and do you see specific themes emerging throughout your work? So I just talked about the theme of that that struggle of who you think you should be versus you know embracing who you truly are. I think that pops up over and over again. Eloisa James, who's a, a big uh, historical romance author, she she posits that you you tell your own fairy tale over and over again, just in mm-hmm. different iterations, which I thought was a really interesting idea, and I I, I certainly um, agree with that. So. Mm. Rick, what draws you to the romance, and what about your themes? So I think uh, I think about it as coming of age. I think of it as finding yourself. Um, but isn't that what all books are to some extent? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I see the um, those themes that coming out. Um, but I think really it's more of an exploration of what, what is love? Uh, what are we here for? Why are we here? Some of the big questions I think we're trying to cover. And... Um, I think that's what makes it, that's the smart part of the smart and sexy, right? I think we're trying to um, spend some time to just like dealing with safe sex, give give people a script. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we got some questions from Paul Reale. Paul is the uh, co-founder of Charlotte Center for Literary Arts. I know Paul. He's a great guy. He appeared in season, season one of the podcast. Uh, He's, he's written a number of stories that have won awards, uh, um, and, and a book called Creativity Rising. Uh, here are Paul's questions. What do you do when you get stuck as a writer? It's <laughs> a great question. Can I, can I go, go first? Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, yeah so um, getting stuck is something that I think happens to all of us. Yes. I, I write my way out of it, and, and it's the only thing that I know that works. Um, I, have, uh, I follow the book um, The Artist's Way, um, haven't it, read it, but now I'm intrigued. She, she <laughs> talks a little bit about morning pages. So mm-hmm. just brain dump. Uh, so 
uh, first thing in the morning, if you're stuck, first thing in the morning, grab a pen, write three pages. And I, to, what happens for me is about page 1.5, you start to figure things out. Hmm. You figure out what you're stuck from. And it usually comes at that, at that really interesting inflection point. Um, and then from there, you, you, you can either deal with it or not, uh, you know, procrastinate. Because I think mm-hmm. we do a lot of that, too. Oh, absolutely. What about you, Jessica? How, how, do, you, I, how do you get unstuck? I love your idea of writing through it. That's exactly uh, what I do as well. I keep a pretty strict publishing schedule. I hope to publish three or four books this year. Wow. And that means you always, in a way, have to be writing, even when you're not inspired, even when you're tired, even when you're sick. That's why um, we can't find you. You can't get up with you. <laughs> yes, literally. That's why I don't respond to emails, because I'm always writing. Um, but yeah, just to that point, like I, Southern Player, my next book, I wrote um, 90,000 words of a draft, pushed through it. I had no idea what I was trying to say. This question is not for you, Jessica. You don't get stuck. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> but my point being, I trashed that whole book and rewrote it. Oh, wow. um, in, in January, I wrote 90,000 words of a brand new book that became Southern Player. But my point is, if I hadn't have written that first draft, there's no way I could have figured out the final draft. So yeah, so I'm a, I, I totally agree with just writing through it. So Kathy Izzard spoke to the uh, Charlotte Writers Club last night. And uh, of course, when we're recording this, it's been a couple of months now ago. But what she said was interesting. She said, find a time and a place to write every day so that your muse will know where to find you. I love that idea. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's, it, consistency is really, I think yeah. it's an underrated uh, yeah. uh, method of yeah. getting a book yeah. done. Paul, Paul's last question, uh, or I'm sorry, Rick, do you have something else? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I wanted, to, I wanted to credit Paul. So Paul's been a great influence on me since I joined uh, Charlotte Lit. Uh, Paul dis, um, described to me the Pomodoro method. And if you ha- haven't heard about it, go, go look it up. But the idea, the idea is um, uh, set a timer for 25 minutes and just write. And don't get up. Don't make yourself a cup of coffee. Don't check your Instagram or your Facebook. Um, just write. Mm-hmm. And it works. It works like a charm. And what's funny is you get to the end of the 25 minutes and you almost can't stop yourself. And then you do another 25 minutes. And, and I find if you can do four or five of those in a day, you can hit your, your, mm. your oh, word count. Oh, if you have focused time, it, you can really get a lot of words in mm-hmm. in a small amount of time. It's when you're checking your Instagram or let me pop off to throw in a load of laundry or check, you know, my email that all of a sudden, you know, 2,000 words takes you all day and it shouldn't. <laughs> so last question from Paul. What advice do you have for writers who are struggling to get published? Oof. That could be a whole day. I was yeah. about to say, that is yeah. a podcast well, in and of itself. We're, we're going to talk about a little bit about marketing later, so give me the high, high note here. Um, I would say don't be afraid to explore all your options. When I first started my publishing journey, I was absolutely convinced that I needed to be traditionally published. Mm-hmm. I was, and now I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I, by design. That is that is by design. I I mean, also in a way, I, I – uh, that my my publisher didn't renew my contract for my historical books. And um, I was kind of like, okay, what do I do next? In a way, I was forced into considering indie. But now that I'm indie, I'm totally kicking myself for not going indie sooner. And so I would just encourage people to examine why. Indie being the independent book market. Independently published, absolutely. I would just really encourage people to examine why you need X, Y, and Z. Why do you feel you need 
a traditional publishing contract, a starred review from Kirkus, a, you, know, you need to win this contest. You know, what are your goals? At the end of the day, my biggest goal was I want to make a living doing this. You know, I want this to be my job. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to get there being traditionally published. I'm mm-hmm. getting there being independently published. We'll come back and talk about okay, that in just sure. a second. Your, your high point, Rick, on this on this idea. Uh, well, I'm sorry, what was the what, question? What advice again? do you have for writers who are struggling to get published? So so I've, I've been self-published since 1998. Um my advice is keep trying, try everything. Um, it, I think uh, yes, I've met more. I've met more than one traditional uh, published person per, who's coming back to self to self publishing mm-hmm. to indie. Um, so I, I think that that is something that's happening in our industry um, more and more. But I, I think that keep trying, uh, mm-hmm. don't give up. Uh, I, I I have heard it said that uh, in order to get in touch with the the best some of the best editors that are out there, you have to go through traditional. So that's the opposite side of the the coin. Um, but I also, you know, obviously I believe in self-publishing. I, I, this is my, I, I'm on my fourth book, getting ready to publish my fifth book, um, and, and I'm going to be self-publishing. So um, I think keep trying. Yes, okay. I love that. All right, so we're going to have two readings here. Then we're going to finish up with a little um, romance marketing here. So the first one is going to be Jessica reading uh, an excerpt in Eli's point of view. We've got two main characters in the book, Olivia and Eli, and uh, so um, we'll start with, uh, with this segment. So you never really told me why you write what you do, I say, filling Olivia's mug with more coffee. Why romance? She sets her fork on her plate and sighs, a contented, sexy as hell sigh. I came to the genre as a reader first, she says, cupping the mug in her hands and settling her elbows on the counter. Reading romance is kind of what got me through my 20s. I plowed through everything I could get my hands on. I loved the adventure in the stories, the way the heroines had real agency, a real say in how their lives ended up, despite the horribly repressive society they lived in. I nod, sipping my own coffee. Their bravery is admirable, so is their willingness to make hard choices. I think that's what I like best about romance, how the main characters never take the easy way out. Olivia's eyes soften when they meet mine. For a second, I think I've upset her again, but then she blinks, clearing her throat, and takes a large swallow from her mug. You're a very perceptive reader. I smirk. It's what makes me a good editor. She scoffs, smiling and rolling her eyes. Anyway, she continues, the few friends I told about my romance reading habit weren't exactly supportive. They thought it was kind of a joke. They called it escapist trash. Small-minded bastards, right? But I'm kind of like, wait, I think the escape actually improves our reality. I know my life is fuller and better and more interesting because I've read romance. Don't we have a lot to learn from one of the few genres that openly embraces female ambition and sexuality? Isn't it nice to see women in books having killer lives and killer curl-your-toes orgasms? I also love that romance always ends with a happily ever after. It's such a nice reminder to stay hopeful, you know? I look at her, my heart thumping in my chest. I do. It's a nice reminder that happily ever after exists. That it's possible no matter how shitty your situation is. Exactly. Olivia's throat moves as she swallows. I love the variety of happily ever afters. It showed me that there are a million different kinds of happy endings for women, not just the ones I saw in my own life. All right, Jessica, so that kind of, uh, that kind of says some of the same things you were saying earlier. Say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty yeah, on the nose there. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, appropriating it uh, and making it something more than just what people might think of as trash or oh. whatever. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, Rick. So now we've got something entirely different. This is a part of your book, but I just loved the word. It's a word I learned somewhere, and it's one of these words you never forget, but you can't ever use it in a sentence. <laughs> you know? And so I want you to I want to, I want you to read the excerpt on defenestration, if that's the way I'm pronouncing. That's it. right, okay. defenestration. All right. It's the act of throwing someone out a window, often but not always to their death. In German, fenster is window. The term was coined in 1618, a uniquely bohemian concept, and became recognized as a precursor to war. In 1618, it referred to an incident at the Prague Castle that led to the Thirty Years' War. Known as the Second Defenestration, two Catholic lords regent, known hardliners, and their secretary at the hands of a Protestant gaggle descended rapidly 70 feet from a third-floor window. They survived the fall, some would say, caught by the intercession of the Virgin Mary. Others have suggested by the forgiveness of a dung heap. The term also refers to an incident, the first capital D defenestration of Prague, 200 years prior in 1419. Charles Square where seven town officials were thrown to their deaths out a window at the top of the town hall by a crowd of angry Protestants precipitating the Hussite Wars. A Hussite is a follower of Jan Hus, a Catholic reformer who preceded the better-known Martin Luther. Thus, the Czech people are known for rebelling against authority, especially when the authority is known to be corrupt. These incidents are the two official capital D defenestrations of Prague. There are more. There's the one and a half defenestration in 1483, when a figurative violent overthrow of municipal governments of the old and new towns became a literal throwing of a portrieve, uh, sort of a burgermeister, if I may, and seven killed aldermen, council members, out the windows of the respective town halls. Then there is the third defenestration when in 1948, Jan Masaryk was found dead in his pajamas beneath his west bathroom window. For years, people thought he committed suicide, but in fact, he had been thrown out a window by a Russian intelligence officer. With a wry sense of humor that is uniquely Czech, it is put thusly. Jan Masaryk was a tidy man, so tidy that he shut the window behind himself after he jumped out of it. It's the act of vanquishing your enemy in the most dismissive way possible. It's a way of telling someone who is in power that they're no longer needed. Isn't it convenient to think that you can just chuck your problems out the window? It has a simplicity that is appealing. (laughs) All right, Rick. Um, So I did not know that uh, throwing someone out a window could lead to a war, but uh, (laughs) this led to several, I guess, in that part of the part of the world. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a sign that people are unhappy. (laughs) <laughs> I'd agree with that. And I think there are some leaders today <laughs> yes, that yeah. we wouldn't mind throwing out a window, right? You think? We're not, we're not encouraging that, by the way. Uh, you're talking about feelings now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let, let's do this. In the little bit of time we've got left, I'd like to talk about this, uh, what I'm calling romance, romancing the romance genres, which is marketing. Jessica, you did a uh, day in the life of Jessica Peterson one day on, on one of your – emails and it just wore me out reading it uh, when it comes to marketing talk talk about that just a second um absolutely and i can't hear oh there there i am hello yep. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
Um, so I do this full time. And I used to spend 90% of my time writing. I thought, you know, I, I think craft is very important. And I don't regret the time I spent learning it. Now, my day it more typically is split 50% writing, 50% marketing. And marketing can mean anything from working on my Facebook ads to sending out the newsletter that Landis was talking about. I have to create content for those newsletters. Um, it could be posting on my Instagram. It could be a million different things. Uh, but yeah, I spend a good chunk of my time marketing my books. And you use social media and you pay social media to market your books. I do. Facebook is my uh, my the platform that I spend the most time on. It's where my readers are. It's where I spend the most money on direct marketing, meaning ads. I uh, have an author page. I have a reader group. Um, that's a closed private group with about, gosh, we've got, we have over 1,500 people in there, post in there every day. Um, I yeah, so, so spend a lot of time on so that. So you mean to tell me that when I when I write a really great book and uh, people are just not going to flock to read you it? You know, then? I used to believe <laughs> that if you wrote a great <laughs> book, people would notice it and buy it. Yeah. And not to say that doesn't happen, um, but I haven't seen it happen <laughs> to anyone I know in a long time. Um, and I think... Uh, there's there's almost the snobbery around marketing your books like you know my book is too good right. to need marketing and I'm like maybe that's true uh, maybe it's not but I've noticed the more time I spend on marketing the more time I get to spend writing because I make money <laughs> well you know you get focused so focused on your own work and oh, you, yeah. you put your heart and your soul and your blood and your sweat and your tears into it and then you've got this baby to put to the world and the most humbling experience you can have is to walk into a library or a bookstore and just look around. Oh at, my goodness! At all the great books that are on the shelf. It's yeah, it's it, it's insane. And yeah. if you or publish it onto Amazon and then check your ranking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. also a lovely little yeah yeah, yeah way to start the morning. <laughs> right, so, so Rick, you, you've been creative as well. Jessica's using social media effectively and uh, building up a lot of followers and doing some other creative things uh, like live performances on oh i Saturday. do live streams readers right. really love right. those yeah and uh, so rick you've done something a little creative given where you set your book talk about that your, your, your tour yeah so uh we are now doing tours so my wife uh 2018 charlotte uh art pop artist holly spruck and i um are now taking tours to prague so readers tours so we did one uh last june uh, imagine seven days, six nights with the author and his artist wife uh, going to all the spots from the book. Um, so uh, no, nobody got thrown out a window. Nobody <laughs> got thrown out a window. Not, <laughs> Not yet. on that tour, I was about yeah. to say. <laughs> but uh, we've got another one coming up in April. Yeah. So we're going back in April, another group uh, going with us. So my super fan group is growing. That is so great. I yeah. love that you do that. It's people, a lot of fun. People would say, Rick, you're going to a lot of trouble to sell a book that costs 14 or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think of it differently now. Yeah. And I, I think Jessica would agree with this. Yeah. It's not, it becomes, be, and, and you, more, were, you, were in than, like, you, right. you were in my class sure. about beyond the book it's it's right. about something bigger right? right it's really we're selling something 
uh, about ourselves. Oh, you're selling yourself. Absolutely. And, and right. that's the point of like my reader group. I don't think I actually sell a ton of books in there, but people get to know me, hopefully get to like me. And that's how super fans are made. So when you do have a new book, those are going to out. Those are going to be the people who go out and post about it, talk about it, rave about it, post reviews. So, you know, you're planting these seeds again, that don't necessarily lead to your tour led to 10 book sales or whatever, but you're just creating these super fans who love you and love your work. That's right. And they're asking you questions, whether it be in your live, you know, Facebook site. What is that uh -huh. thing called? You do a, a live stream, live stream, or whether you're going on a tour, Rick, your, your people are asking you questions about the book and about yourself. What are some of the craziest questions people have asked you on these live stream? Oh my uh, goodness. <laughs> well, <laughs> Personal questions. Personal questions. <laughs> they ask, you know, where I, I get my inspiration from. Yeah. Is it my husband? How yeah. does he feel about my books? Yeah. Um, I uh, and, you, and you answer all these questions. For I'm not always yeah. actually. The so the cover model for Southern Charmer did a live stream in my reader group. He got a lot of inappropriate he questions, did. Did. and I learned from him. He just kind of smooths it over. He's just right. kind of like, thank you guys so much for the lovely questions. Gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, you just kind of learn to deflect a little bit. The weirder ones. So let's talk about what the public does see, and they say that uh, that cover is worth all the words you write in your book oh, sometimes. Oh, it is. And uh, I noticed, Jessica, that uh, if we go to your website and we look at your very first books, which was the traditionally published book, Mm -hmm. It uh, it has a, a distinctly different feel to it than your later books. Oh no, absolutely! Yeah. And Talk those about are that. those are so my traditionally published books are historicals. Historical is you know a subgenre of romance, but it definitely has its own. Um, you know, uh, they're dressed in the pride and prejudice. Outfits, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right. So, and you know, you're selling to a particular audience. Right. Now, I write contemporary, and I'm selling to a different particular audience. Yeah, I'm looking at the guy on your cover of Southern Charmer here. We and, call and it Manchester. He, he's, he's been working out. You know. Yes, yeah, yeah. he he <laughs> he definitely has. Um, you know, his shirt's kind of like look look at my shirt. Here. He looks yeah. Landis. Wow. You look, almost look, look the, exactly like the him. shirt. The shirt. <laughs> He Just got the, the shirt, shirt from Southern Charmer. That's yes, amazing. Did you know that? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I unplugged my microphone. All right. Hold it. Almost. Okay. We got to stop a second. All right. We're back. Jessica got so excited in that last exchange. She pulled out the, the, sorry, cord, the cord from her earphones <laughs> yeah, and everything. Sorry. She, got, she was looking at her cover and things just got out of control. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where'd you find this guy for the cover? So there is, uh, there are several photographers who cater specifically to the romance community, and uh, I bought it. His name is Wander Aguiar. Um, he's a, he's wonderful to work with. He's a photographer out of California, and he has a, a whole site. If you are looking for a fireman, a businessman, <laughs> um, a rocker, a bad boy. He yeah. has it all, and I will say, you know, it's, it all comes back to reader expectation, right? And this cover uh -huh. lets people know exactly what, what they're getting. And, Rick, your cover um, is doesn't have a guy on it with a shirt, you know, open yeah, or anything. Yeah, that's right. But it's, uh, it, it's unique art, uh, and your wife is involved in this, right? So. Right. So I, I'll never have to uh, pay for cover art. Well, I pay in different Lucky ways. You, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. your cover's beautiful. Thank you. It's yeah. really you. beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, I'm very lucky in that uh, my wife uh, has uh, art that we use for the covers. Um, I think of it as a way of marketing for both of us. Um, I do pay a price for that in the romance genre. Um, if I, I did a, a promotion on Insta Freebie, 
And there were 66 romance novels that were being given away for free. Yes, I've done those before, too. And I think mine was the only one that didn't have a bare-chested man. There, there might have been a two or three others that didn't have it. But um, my, mine uh, don't have that. And uh, when I took uh, Jessica's class, uh, Publishing and Marketing in the Digital Age, um, she said the cover can, can make or break you. And I found that she's absolutely right. Um, you know, people who, if you use the, the bare-chested man and, and give people what they're looking for, then you can sell a lot of books that way. So um, I've chosen Joseph not to do that. Joseph standing on the on the Charles Bridge. You know, <laughs> with his shirt flapping with her, with open her, in the breeze. shirt flapping in the breeze. We're going to yeah. have to find a really good-looking model for that. <laughs> oh, oh, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, what about the the don'ts of selling your stuff? I mean, you, you know, you, you try. Do you try things even then if they don't work? You try something all else. All so? the time. Marketing yeah. is all about trial and error. I had to work on Facebook ads for probably three years before I figured out how to to turn a profit using them. Hmm. So, again, to go back to Rick's Rick's advice to aspiring writers, just keep trying and educate yourself. If there's a class you can take, you should take it. And both of you, Rick and Jessica, you've taught classes at Charlotte Center for Literary Arts. And uh, Jessica, you've spoken to Charlotte Writers Club. Rick, you've spoken on marketing at other places. You blog about it. You both uh, talk talk about this thing called marketing. And, and sort of the you know where I'm going with this is it is kind of trial and error, isn't it, Rick? I mean, it's, oh, it is. You know, it's, Very much so. And, I think until you get in the game, you can't learn what the game is about. Oh, it, you can read all the books you want. You have to learn by doing. And you have yes. to try it. And, and trial and error makes a huge difference. So I had uh, with my first, or I should say with, with uh, Chimera of Prague, I had a, a resistance to giving away books mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning. I thought, you know, I did a lot of pre-sales. I did a Kickstarter. I had a lot of people who were supporting me with money very early on. And I wanted to honor those people by not giving the same thing that they gave me money for by giving it away. Away for free, right. But I had to quickly get over that because it... Part of marketing today is you have to give away almost as many books as you sell. So, um, free is a marketing tool. And, and hate, it's and, part and of free is a marketing I hate, I hate tool. To say That's this, right. But when you write that first book and, it, and it's well written and you get it out there, um, you need something to give away. And so that means let's write another book, right? And, That's right. And you use that first book as part of a funnel, perhaps, oh, to, to, to lead to the purchase of the absolutely. Next book. Yeah. Or what I'm doing now is I don't give books away for free, but at the back of Southern Charmer, if you sign up for my newsletter, I will send you a bonus epilogue that I wrote. Mm-hmm exclusively for newsletter subscribers so in a way yes i'm giving stuff away for free but not a, a whole book yep. yeah well and so all you listeners out there you know i've taken these courses too and you'll know that if you go and you sign up for the charlotte readers podcast uh, email list you're going to get the first book in a trilogy about lawyers who save christmas you know so. and that is a great book i've read <laughs> yeah, it myself it's i a recommend great book. Yeah, yes thank you thank you so the christmas uh, heist fantastic it. yes yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to wrap up today. Um, any parting thoughts about this thing called romance? I, you know, I think romance you know, gets sometimes a bad rap. I think it is a a, a vibrant, awesome. That that word is not like vibrant, <laughs> awesome, but I think it's like a vibrant, um, you know, thoughtful, very. 
caring community. Um, and, and a lot of interesting things are going on in the genre mm-hmm. right now. It, it's a quickly changing genre. Um, and again, there's something for everyone. And so I would just encourage people to set aside your preconceived notion of it being, you know, kind of this like smexy mommy porn mm-hmm. trash mm-hmm. and really, you know, give it another look because it's a lot of fun. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, and, and yeah, just... Yeah, another and, chance. and Rick, your thoughts, because styles are different. Your style is different than Jessica's, but you're bringing in a different element. What, what are your thought, parting thoughts? Yeah, so uh, my, I just want to be able to have the chance, like Jessica says, uh, of I want to keep doing this. So yeah. I, I'm going to do what I can to keep to keep going. Um, I find the, the romance genre um, really vibrant. I think that's a great word for it. It's mm-hmm. It's very full. Um, I'm dying to read Jessica's new book. Oh, thank you. The, the Southern <laughs> Player. I know the characters already because they're in Southern Charmer. <laughs> yes. So yes. I, I know where, where we're going to go, and I'm kind of excited to find out what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I've got part two of The Chimera coming out. So yeah. uh, in this one, Joseph's going to turn over a new leaf and, and uh, really so make I'm some gonna changes. So I'm going to like him better right off the bat, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I so hope so. I started liking him about midway through yeah, the book. Yeah, though, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. What, yeah, do you have yeah. a release date yet? I don't. So okay. I, I'm, I'm looking at April, but April's really close right now. It really yeah. is. I can't believe <laughs> yeah. it. All right. So before we go, we can't uh, talk about marketing without uh, talking about where you can find these books. Uh, Jessica, tell us your website. My yeah. website is Jessica Peterson, P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N.com. And you're on Facebook. Right? Um, I'm on Facebook. If you want to find my reader group, it's called Jessica Peterson City Girls. I also have an author page. It's under author Jessica Peterson. All right, great. Yeah. And Rick, where can we find you? So it's rickprill.com, uh, P-R-Y-L-L. And uh, I, I have a Facebook author page. Um, I have, I'm, I'm active on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. I have uh, a newsletter. Not what new- are your handles on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, <laughs> I'm really boring. It's at Rick Prill. Okay. No, yeah. but just so everybody knows. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at Jessica P. Author. Yeah, and for those that are listeners, uh, Charlotte Reader's podcast is at Charlotte Reader. That shouldn't be hard to figure yeah, out. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, look, thank you so much for, uh, you know, coming in today to talk uh talk romance this yeah. was so fun yeah, thank you for really having been us a blast thank yeah. you landis thank you. well that's it for today another fine author giving voice to the written words in next week's episode we meet mark castrick author of 18 novels including two mystery series and a number of short stories too mark is well versed in the mystery genre and shares his years of knowledge about what makes for a good mystery he reads from the most recent book in his bearing berry mystery series and in the Sam Blackman mystery series, and he also reads a creative nonfiction piece set on a farm of his youth near the Charlotte Airport that involves a farmer joining the circus. If you liked our show, please tell your friends, and please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Reviews are like the gasoline that drive traffic to the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, which is free, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our social media links, if you're into that, are at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. If you have feedback or an idea for an author to be on the show, you can email us at our contact page on the website, and authors are welcome to submit to be on the show on the author page. If you sign up for our email list at our website, thank you for that, and we will give you a free ebook, a work of fiction written by your host. And by the way, if you do sign up for our email list, we promise not to spam you. That takes too much time. We'll just send you some periodic updates about the show. Please don't forget our sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to our fine sponsors and their resources are on the webpage and in the show notes. You can find out more about us and our sister shows at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade. 
for Charlotte Readers Podcast.